0: Thank you for downloading this episode of The MacReport Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. I have good news. And I have bad news. Which do you want first? I'm going to assume, yeah, I'm going to assume you want the good news first. The good news is, is there's still about two months in a week, like about nine weeks between now and when the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey Committee is going to select teams for the NCAA tournament. That's the good news. The reason why we're talking about that now and why that is good news is because Merrimack did the one thing that we said a week ago that they really couldn't afford to do. If you remember about a week ago, right on this show, heading into that weekend series against Brown and Yale, I think the words out of my mouth were, good teams sweep Brown and Yale, and there's really... Not an excuse for not sweeping Brown and Yale. I, I'm pretty sure those are the exact words that came out of my mouth. Obviously, we know what happened. Not only did Merrimack not sweep Brown and Yale, but they didn't even pick up a win. Warriors had to come from behind to tie Yale on Friday night 3-1. to one, And then got beat and beat pretty handily by Brown on Saturday 6-2. to two. And if you go back now, you go back in time even a couple of weeks ago, right before New Year's, the tournament up in Dartmouth. This is now four weeks in a row, three games or excuse me, four games in a row, where they haven't looked good and they haven't played real well. Uh, certainly not what the team looked like at the beginning of the year, and and that's what has become a little bit of a concern here. Now, if you if we start, we'll, we'll talk about the league stuff in a second. If we start with the pairwise, they've they've done a good enough job early on beating good teams that these missteps I can't even call them losses because there's only two losses in the last four games, and one of them was to Providence. It was a 6-1 to one loss, but one of them was to Providence, and then one of them was to Brown. And and the, But still, a tie against Yale feels like a loss, even though they came back and tied it late. That's a team you should beat. That team's not very good. I'm sorry. They work hard, but they're really not very good. The leading – how about this? And, and I don't want to get too much on the tangent here, but the leading scorer on the Yale roster for his career entering the game on Saturday night, the the, the leading career scorer for Yale – had 23 points I think in 66 games. Alex Jeffries has 24 points this season. That's the difference that we're talking about. They're not a skilled team. They work real hard. They're not a skilled team. They've had a lot of trouble scoring goals. Uh from a, a straight up skill standpoint, they're one. They're one of the weakest teams in the country. And and not only did Merrimack tie them, but had to come back to do so. That's that's the disappointing part. Almost lost that game, uh, and then we saw what happened on Saturday. You know, I wasn't sure if the Yale game was going to be a, a bit of a wake up call, but we saw what happened on Saturday. They came back and and again gave up an early goal, just like they did against against Yale on Friday night, against Brown on Saturday. They give up the early goal. They fall behind early. The wheels start to come off a little bit. You start to see guys try to do a little bit too much. A lot of individual play. A lot of guys, which I get. I get it. I understand. Good players want to put the team on their back and just pull pull you out of the mess. They they want to do that, and and I and I understand where they're coming from, uh, and I can appreciate that. But again. Uh, a lot of that individual play over the course of the entire weekend resulted in turnovers some really bad turnovers and bad areas of the ice like you look at the, the first Yale goal on Friday night not only was it scored a minute and a half in the game but Yale didn't even have to do any work I mean Merrimack literally put the stick on the guy put the puck in the guy's stick in the slot about four feet out from the front of the net so you have a team that's struggling to score goals and they didn't really do a lot of work to make them score goals, <laughs> which was which was the, the the part that I think was you know probably a little upsetting if you're a Merrimack fan. So, uh, it, it, not a good weekend at all. Scott Boric said it after the game. He said it as much. Uh, where's the quote here? I'll read it. If you didn't if you didn't read my stuff from over the weekend, uh, after the game, Scott Borick said, "quote We got outplayed, plain and simple. We didn't have any pushback. By the time we started to play with urgency, we were down by five goals." They have a good team and a good goalie, and we put ourselves in a bad position. And here's where it it gets interesting. I think we've taken a lot for granted. It started last week. We have gotten humbled, and I hope we learn from it. I want the family to come back together. That game, this is Saturday night, that game was a disaster. I think we came back from the breaks and started thinking we were pretty good, and we stopped doing the things we needed to do, and that's really disappointing. Yeah. Um. I'm not sure that I have a lot to argue with there. Later on, he said, you know, we should be really humbled because that was brutal. Again, uh, not much to disagree with uh, overall, especially when you lose. I mean, you enter that game, as Merrimack did, number six, I think, in the pairwise. I think they fell. I think they were number six. uh, Or maybe they were number eight. I think they fell from six to eight, actually, after the tie against Yale Yale on Friday. Uh, But... Still, top 10 team in the country. Still a top 10 team in the country. They're 10th as of today in the pairwise. Again, that's because they've beaten so many good teams in the first half of the year. But you're the number eight team in the country. You're playing a team that I think was ranked 45 going into the game on Saturday. So in the bottom third, and again, yeah, I know, they, they beat Providence, and I can appreciate that. And their goalie's good. Like, Matthew Caron's a good goalie. I've watched him play a lot this year. I think he's one of the more underrated goalies in the country, to be quite honest with you. But, again, like, you can't lose to those teams. If you want to be an at-large team in the NCAA tournament, you can't lose to those teams. You need to be better than those. those. Those games, games against Yale and Brown, have to be a foregone conclusion if you're ready to be one of the top teams in the country. You know, and that that's the difference I think, and that that's the hump that Merrimack needs to get over now, because if you look at the just in terms of their calendar year 2022, I think I had the numbers on this last week. They were like the seventh best team in the country, if you if, not looking at seasons, but if you just look at the 2022 calendar year, January to December, they had the seventh best record in the country, and the second best record in Hockey East over that span. It's like forty something games, so they're on the cusp of being a really good team they're on the cusp of being a team that i think a lot of people look at as national contenders right but for you to be one of those teams it, you, you beat brown and yale right? and you do it easily <laughs> you don't only beat them you beat them by multiple goals i mean those games shouldn't have been close the talent, and no offense to either of those programs, but the talent disparity between what what Merrimack has on its roster and what Brown and Yale has on its roster is it's miles apart. It's miles apart. So, so what was the difference? What was the difference over the weekend? I mean, you could say it was effort. I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that. You know, I thought that Merrimack, well. well they did it in spurts. I, I thought that their urgency and effort was there in spurts in both those games. I wouldn't say that it was there for 60 minutes in either one of them. Um, but I don't even know that it's effort, you know, because it doesn't look like they're not being lazy on pucks. They're, they're still trying to win puck battles, and all that stuff is still there. It, it's it's almost like a lack of focus. And that's what I, I chalk up a lot of the turnovers to, is a lack of focus, a lack of, of attention to details, which we hear t- coaches talk about all the time. Managing the puck, taking care of the puck, managing turnovers, not turning the puck over. You know, you're going to turn the puck over over the course of a 60-minute game, but trying not to turn the puck over in really prime areas of the ice, like giving a forward from Yale the puck in the slot four feet out from your goaltender, stuff like that. That's what needs to be – and it wasn't just that one turnover, that one Yale goal. There were turnovers all weekend long. I mean, you can go back to – they allowed nine goals over the weekend against teams – against two teams that really struggled to score goals. Uh, And a lot of them – I think the majority of them, to be quite frank with you, was was off of turnovers. Either a turnover in the D zone a turnover at the defensive blue line trying to break the puck out, which resulted in numbers coming the other way. Um, Bad decisions on breakout passes, bad decisions in the neutral zone, trying to get too cute with the puck. Uh, it was a mismanagement of the puck, which I don't know if it's a lack of focus. It's definitely a lack of details. It's definitely a lack of details, and and it's a trend that I think we started to see the week before against against Dartmouth and against Providence. It just didn't really cost you there as much. It did against Providence. It didn't really cost you against Dartmouth. Merrimack still wins that game, but again, needed overtime to do it against a team that's now ranked 60th in the pairwise. You needed overtime to beat Dartmouth. Uh, this stretch now, they've gone 1, 2, and 1 over this stretch. None of the – the win was not in regulation. It was an overtime win. So 1, 2, and 1 with an overtime win. And I would have looked at the stretch coming out of the holiday, going into the Dartmouth tournament. I looked at this stretch of games and, and said to myself, Anything less than three and one is a disappointment. Look, you can you can lose to Providence on any given night. They're a good team. So I, I thought Merrimack and Providence would match up in the finals of the of the Ledger Bank Classic, and they did. And if you want to lose, if if you lose that game, not that you want to write it off, but it's an acceptable loss because Providence is a good team. You're not going to win every night. Look, at some point, if you're a good team, you also have to beat the good teams, but you're not going to beat the good teams every night. So I looked at it as you're probably going to play Dartmouth, Yale, and Brown three out of the next four. Those games should not be close. And then if you lose to Providence in the finals of the tournament, you lose to Providence, fine. I mean, and if it's a close game, it's acceptable. A 6-1 game doesn't really feel acceptable, obviously, but uh, I, I would have looked at the stretch coming in, as I did, and said a 3-1 and stretch is, is acceptable here. That, that's The next two weeks, you're looking at going 3-1. and and then you get into kind of the, the meat of some of the league schedule here with, with Providence coming up twice more, and you get Northeastern coming up, and I know they've struggled, but we also know how good Devin Levi is, and they're going to be on the road at Vermont, which, again, winnable games. But, but from what I saw over the weekend, I'm not sure anything right now could be chalked up as a winnable game because Vermont is better than Yale, and Vermont is better than Dartmouth, and Vermont is better than Brown, at least from a, a skill standpoint. that They're better teams that they they're, they're a better they're better than all three of those teams and you got to go up on the road and beat them at the end of the month so what looked like a gimme win or a couple of gimme, gimme <laughs> almost automatics uh 2 weeks ago now now you have to sit there and think about it a little bit and again look I'm I'm trying not to pile on too much here because I think at the end of the day if if I told you you're obviously a Merrimack fan if you're listening to this if I told you back in October hey we're going to be sitting here Second week of January. Merrimack's going to be 10th in the pairwise. They're going to be 14 and 7. Would you take it? I think, I think everybody would say, of course. Of course. After losing Zach Ewens, after losing Declan Carlisle, after losing Max Newton and losing Steven Chandrick. Yeah. Absolutely, I would take that. I think I think that's would be the answer that most people would say. and, and that's where they are. So it's not like, you know, it's not time to hit the panic button just yet and I do think I'm a firm believer in you have to uh you have to evaluate a team on the totality of the season and not just what has happened over the last 2 weeks again you hear coaches say it all the time i say it to my 13 year olds uh, when when we're coaching their games all the time you can't get too high with the highs you can't get too low with the lows the the season is a roller coaster you're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. Every team's going to go through them. It's about managing those ups and downs as best you can and trying to stay somewhere in the middle emotionally. You know? Uh I don't think that they're I, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button just yet. Now look, it's not going to get easier with Providence coming in for two games this weekend, but I don't think it's time for us to be sitting here hitting the panic button, going, oh no, they're not as good as we thought they were. They're not a good team. They're not going to make the tournament. That's a little bit of an overreaction to me. It, it could still be the end result because they've put themselves in a tough spot now at number ten. Um, but, but I, I don't think it's I I don't think it's a guarantee that that is going to happen just yet. They could still play their way out of it because there's so much time left in the season. Now they just have some work to do. You know, it went from a, a situation where. Merrimack kind of just had to keep its head above water. Like, they did enough in the first half that if they were slightly above 500 in the second half and they avoided losses to bad teams, if they were slightly above 500 in the second half and they only lost to teams, you know, right around them or higher than them in the pairwise, they would have been fine. They would have been a lock for the tournament, no problem. But not having a regulation win against Dartmouth hurt them. Tying Yale hurt them. Losing to Brown hurt them. So now they've got to make up some ground. You know, because they sit right now at tenth in the pairwise, and we're going to talk about the Crouch standings, the projected hockey standings in a minute. Because Merrimack is still predicted and with by the Crouch to finish number one in the league, but you look at the pairwise now, and they're at number ten. And here's what not enough people I think are talking about just yet. And, and, and again, there's a lot of hockey left; it may not happen this way, but I think kind of putting my my uh, looking at my crystal ball here a little bit. I think that the cut line for the NCAA tournament in the Parawise, which is usually 15, 14, because Atlanta – I mean, it's usually at least 15 because Atlanta hockey gets an automatic bid and that knocks out the number 16 team in the Parawise. A lot of years it's 15. It's usually 15 or 14. Sometimes it's 13. The issue with this year is I think, personally, I think the cut line for the NCAA tournament could be as low as 12. Could be as low as 12. And here's why. Atlanta Hockey is going to knock the 16 team out. That gets you down to 15. I think you could get down to 14 with the CCHA champion coming outside the top 16 of the pairwise. Michigan Tech has made a little bit of a move, but they're not far enough ahead of a team like Minnesota State that I'm comfortable saying that their league champion is going to come from within the top 16. So if that happens, that knocks you down to 14. Would anybody here be surprised if someone from Hockey East outside the top 16 wins Hockey East? Well, if that happens, that knocks you down to 13. Now things are getting a little hairy here. (laughs) You know, Could especially with the single elimination format. I mean, could Devin Levi go on a run in the playoffs and win four games in a row for Northeastern and then all of a sudden, bam, they're the hockey's champions as the number 30 team in the pairwise or 25 team in the pairwise? I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think it's unreasonable that a team like Boston College, which is starting to put things together a little bit, and they're playing well, or a team like UMass, who's going to get used to their coaching staff and I think could go on a run here in the second half. Could one of those teams... Be 17, 18, 19 of the pairwise and go on a run and, and win Hockey East? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally possible. So now, now that drops the cut line down potentially to 13. Okay? I don't think anybody in the ECAC wins that league other than Quinnipiac or Harvard. You know, maybe Cornell has a chance. Uh, and Cornell could be outside the top 16. So that one's kind of a wait and see, but I'd, I'd be surprised. I think Harvard and Quinnipiac are just so light years ahead of everybody else in that league. I think that one probably comes from inside the top 16. But what about now the NCHC? Kind of a mess, right? I mean, Denver's a good team. St. Cloud's a good team. There's a big chunk of teams in there in the middle, though, that are pretty good. I think they could win the NCHC tournament. Again, especially once we get to the semifinals. It's a one-game deal. So could North Dakota or Western Michigan or or Omaha, some pretty good teams, win the NCHC from outside the top 16? Again, yeah. Yeah, I think they could. And then even when you get into the Big Ten, now the Big Ten, I think, you know, Minnesota's the class of the Big Ten. Penn State's not far behind. Both those teams are in the top 16. But Michigan is – kind of floating as a bubble team right now i think they'll have a big second half so they'll be okay but could one of these teams that have surprised us over the course of the year like an an ohio state or a michigan state michigan state struggled recently here but could a team from the big 10 take a spot outside i mean there's just so many teams right now outside the top 16 that i think have a legitimate chance of winning their conference that the cut line could be as low as 12 as low as 12 and and that's what's scary i think for these teams that are on the bubble. And 2 weeks ago, 2 weeks ago Merrimack wasn't even on the bubble. 2 weeks ago Merrimack was number 3 in the pairwise. They were very very comfortable. Now they're on the bubble. And and this is where things get a little muddy <laughs> and can get a little scary for these teams as we get later on in the year. So you are what your record says you are. I, I think, especially with the pairwise, it's a computer ranking and takes into consideration the entire season. You are where the ranking says you should be, and, and it is what it is, and you're number ten right now. And normally number ten would be pretty comfortably in the NCAA tournament at fourteen, six and one. I think I said fourteen and seven earlier. Sorry. Fourteen, six and one. Normally number ten in the country would be, you know, pretty comfortably in a tournament spot. And, and 10 will be. I mean, there's not going to, you know, if you're 10 in the pairwise, you're going to get in. But if they fall anymore, if they fall to a 12, 13, 14, I don't know. I don't know. It's getting a little scary there, <laughs> you know. And I didn't think we would be in this position with them two weeks ago because of where they were at number three. And it's not just, here's the other thing, too, it's not just Merrimack. It's Hockey East in general. Hockey East had six teams in the NCAA tournament two weeks ago. Or six teams that were in NCAA tournament spots two weeks ago. You know where they're at this week? Three. Three. UMass Lowell played itself out when they got swept by Anchorage. Providence has fallen with a loss to UNH. Tie against Army. UMass has fallen a little bit just because of the relative strength of the league. That That's the issue. As a league, over the last couple of weeks, Hockey East has losses to Brown. They have losses to – or ties, to two ties against Yale because Yale tied somebody else too. Vermont, I think it was. Um, a loss to Brown, two losses to Union. They're number 45. A loss to Bentley. They're number 60. A tie against Army. I mean it's not it's the league as a whole since Christmas has not performed well at all as far as non-conference pairwise games and what that does is drags down the relative power rating for la- RPI lack of a better term power rating of every team every other team in the league so now Merrimack's not just being hurt by their own losses they're being hurt by Northeastern losing to Bentley and dragging down the relative strength of Hockey East in the pairwise hasn't been good. It hasn't been a good week. It hasn't been a good couple of weeks for Hockey East, and we'll see if they can clean it up. But of course, you know, again, it doesn't get easier with Providence coming in. We saw what Scott Bork said about Merrimack earlier on. Um, one of the things that I find very interesting too is is Providence enters this weekend. Uh, they're not going to feel real good either they lost to unh last week and they tied against army and this is what nate lehman had to say after the the loss to unh where they got shut out by the way by the wildcats for their first unh had its first hockey's win over the weekend nate lehman said quote that was embarrassing we weren't committed tonight we weren't committed to a hard game we weren't committed to playing the right way we weren't committed to defense at all until the second period it's not about who we're missing because they were without some guys uh, Lehman continues It's the same group that beat Merrimack last week six to one. It's not about who we're missing. It's about the guys that we that put the jersey on, and most of them didn't care enough about winning tonight. <laughs> oh, boy <laughs> So two coaches that i mean let's face it two coaches that have put their team on on notice last weekend. two teams that put their two coaches that put their teams on blast you know six days ago. Uh, are now going to play two games this weekend at Lawler. And only this is what's interesting about this weekend is only one of them can rebound. I mean, not both of them aren't going to come out and have a good weekend. Both of them can't come out and sweep. So what happens? Who rebounds better? Who has the better pushback? Who has the better answer to a bad weekend the week before where their coach called them out in the media? We're, we're going to find out. Is it Merrimack? Is it Providence? I guess. I mean, we, maybe we don't find out. It's possible they could split the points, right? <laughs> it's possible that they split the series, or uh, or they tie both nights and go to shootouts and trade the shootout lo- or shootout wins or something like that. <laughs> That's always possible. Uh, maybe neither one of them has a full response or either that or they both feel good about that. I, I don't know. <laughs> you go to two shootouts and, and they trade the points of the shootouts. Would, would the teams feel okay about that? I, with the way last weekend went, both both coaches might be okay with that result. I don't know. Um, but only one of them can really respond. And that's what makes this weekend to me so interesting, especially the first 10 minutes on Friday night. So We'll see where that goes. Uh, now, though, let's talk to Merrimack Head Coach Scott Bork about last weekend, about this weekend, and uh, everything and beyond.
1: So let's go to Merrimack Head Coach Scott Borick right now. i right, here with the head coach of the Merrimack Men's Hockey Team, Scott Bork, And, Coach, um, clearly, you know, looking back to Saturday, uh, weren't real happy with how the weekend went last weekend. I think, you know, that goes for you and probably everybody in that room. Uh, I'm curious, what what does the week look like for practice so far? Obviously, you still got one more today. Um, but as far as kind of a, a response from, from last weekend, it's going to unveil itself on Friday. But it, I'm sure it starts over the course of the week in practice. So how's the week look so far?
2: No, I think it's looked good, actually. I think that we are, um, you know, our details are much better this week. We are much more physical this week. Um, I thought our team, we competed in several situational-type drills, and and I liked the way our team competed. Um, you know, we got some work to do. We know that. You know, um, really obviously disappointed with the way the first four games after break have gone. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, we're, you know, a, a block shot or a save or what have you away from, you know, being quite different than, than it's been. And that, that was one thing when I watched the film first, Brown, You know, after the game, I was very upset about the way we played, Um, and I I still wasn't happy with the way we played, but, you know, we only gave up two scoring chances in the first period, and, you know, that's a team that's playing pretty, you know, playing okay without the puck, and kind of unraveled on us after that period, but, you know, I think our team's shown some signs of frustration that weren't there at the beginning of the year, um, that we just got to get back to playing good hockey.
1: It's one of those, I mean, we talked a little bit about it on Saturday, but you've got a situation now where like it's a long season teams have ups and downs like this over the course of the season, even the really good ones. And it feels like the ones that are able to pull themselves out of it do so because they've got strong leaders. They were veteran group. They got a lot of seniors and you look at your roster and that's kind of what you have. Have those guys been the ones that junior seniors, graduate students, the upperclassmen, is this the time where you really need them to kind of come to the forefront and, and, and pull your group out of it?
2: Yeah, we need them to lead us, and I, I think, and my message to them uh, Monday was simply, you know, we weren't going to win every game we played, although I was hoping we would. Uh, but it's this situation, it's this challenge that if we're successful we're getting ourselves out of this, this is why we'll be good in March. Um, if we didn't face this adversity and face it for the first time in March, um, you know, that your season could end that day. Uh, but right now, we're facing it. We know we're not playing our best hockey. we're going to get back to kind of the details and the structure of our game and lean into that um, and then really lean into our leaders. And I think we have good ones in that room, uh, throughout the room, throughout the classes. And we just need those guys to step to the forefront.
1: What what do you want to see kind of return? I mean, you talk about the details and just refining things, getting getting the game back to where it was before the break. What are some of those details that, that have been missing over the last four games that you'd like to see return?
2: Well, I think puck management's been really poor. Um, We've been pretty casual with the puck. Uh, and I can't really explain that. Like I, I think maybe it was non-league. You know, obviously the end of our first half was a pretty intense stretch of games where we understood um as a group and I think individually that we had to manage the puck while well to be successful and we did that. Um I thought the last four games we've managed the puck really poorly. Uh we need to do a better job of that. We need to win uh the blue in both both ends of the rank, which we haven't done a great job of doing. Um but really that that's kind of the commitment to the details of the game that puts your structure in a good place to be successful. And I think we've been loose in those areas and we've talked about that and we've worked on that. And I think we're going to be much better this, this weekend.
1: Uh, And it doesn't get any easier. I mean, it's kind of an interesting dynamic here too, where you guys are coming off of a weekend where you struggled and you want to try to get back on track and, and, uh, you would think would come out of the gates on Friday playing a little desperate, you know, with some urgency. In uh, Providence, I know is kind of feeling the same way. Uh, I saw what what Nate Lehman had to say after their game on Saturday against UNH. Came back on on Sunday against Army, tied them. Played played better in that game, but tied Army. I mean, both teams seem like they're maybe desperate's the wrong word, but but would show some urgency coming out on Friday night. I would say.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like I I thought, you know, we've obviously seen Providence twice now. Like we saw them uh against Yale and we saw them against ourselves. And I thought they, they had a really good weekend. Obviously, they beat us up pretty good. Um, and then, you know, I watched that UNH game and I you know, Nate's uh Coach Lehman's comments were right after the game. He probably hadn't watched the film, but yeah uh, I, I thought his team had some really good opportunity. Let's give some credit to David Fezidon and to the UNH's defense and the way UNH played that game. They played they played a really smart uh, patient hockey game got good goaltending and gave themselves a chance to win. Uh, third period, Providence was, you know, all over them, but uh, couldn't crack the crack the ice. So, you know, I think there's urgency on both sides. I think that I think going into this weekend, uh, their hockey game has been a lot better than ours, frankly, to this point. Um, and we need to we need to make a jump start against them. I mean, it's a tough opponent. We know that they play very hard. We know that, uh, but that's good. It's gonna be an outstanding competitive game. So. I think that will draw the best out of us.
1: Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask you on Saturday, but with Mac out of the lineup, Mac Welcher, um, was that an injury-related thing? Or just, if it was, how is he doing this week?
2: He is injury-related, and he is uh, probably questionable for the weekend, which is unfortunate. He's been one of our most consistent uh, and hardest players to play against. Um, and we really won't know. He's been in a red shirt. You know, he can't be in a red shirt today and play tomorrow. So um, we'll see how he comes out today. Uh, I'm hopeful that he's able to go. Um, he's been a very important player for us and obviously a captain and uh, kind of a catalyst and an energy guy for us. So really hopeful that he can go. Um, you know, We'll know more today, later on. Uh,
1: and then the other one, Joey. I mean, we talked about him last week, too, but Liam Dennison, I mean, is he getting closer uh, to, to maybe being able to make an impact there on the back end?
2: You know, Liam's, uh, today's a big day for Liam. He's had a pretty good week. He has not been in red at all. Um, and, you know, today's a day where, you know, where's his confidence at? I think really right now that's the only issue is just his personal confidence in his um, recovery uh, and his rehab and the fact that, okay, am I ready to go now? You know, as we talked about at the beginning of the year, or even halfway through the year, it's a surprise he's even on the ice right now. But uh, So I think it's a, a mental adjustment for him, but uh, you know, he looks, he's looked good and, and I'm hopeful that uh, we get good news today, but if he's not, if it's not today, it will certainly be next weekend.
1: He plays kind of a quiet game. I mean, I know I, anyone who pays attention knows what type of impact he can have when he's on the ice and, and will have, I think when he's on the ice, you guys here in the second half, but what are some of the things he does real well? Because it, it, a lot of it, you know, you won't find it in the box score, but he impacts the game and has, I remember hearing stories back when he was in the USHL with Youngstown coaches coming up to, uh, you know, Curtis Carr, I think was the one that was telling me the story that would be like, yeah. you know, I'd get phone calls of other guys that were out there watching the see watching the other players that were, I'd get a text and go, Hey, you know, you're, your defenseman, Dennis is the best player on the ice. Like, what are some of the things he does well that impacts the game?
2: The biggest thing he does is break the puck out. Uh, he's such a good skater. He gets first touch most of the time. Um, he really uh, makes a good decision on that first touch. And that's something that I don't think we've done great, um, which has allowed us to be hemmed into our zone. Because our first touch has been pretty average uh, the last couple of games. And Denny brings that right away. You know, he's smart. He gets the pucks quickly. Uh, he understands how to defend. He's an undersized defenseman who understands how to defend in in space, um, and then just a the maturity on the back end. You know, I think you, know, you didn't see that at the beginning of the year uh, from us. You didn't see the mat- you know a lack of maturity. But as the games get more important and the games get more physical and the games start to matter more and more, um, you know, a little bit that immaturities come out of us. And uh, I think having Denny back, there be like a security blanket for the group. Uh, and also frankly for the coaching staff because i know we have someone back there who can get first touch and uh can get us out of some tough situations
1: uh one of the things too that i noticed on saturday and it may have just been (laughs) a product of how the game had developed and and things like that but it looked like the lines may have gotten a little bit shaken up the forward lines late in the game maybe definitely the third period i think is when i noticed it was that just an effort to try to find some sort of spark do you think you'll go back to what the lines had kind of been over the last couple of months or, or is it time to maybe look for some new combinations?
2: You know, I think we got really comfortable um, with our lineup, both as coaches and players. Um, and I think we need a little uncomfortable. So uh, we'll definitely have uh, some things mixed around a little bit tomorrow. Uh, I felt like going into the third period that, um, you know, it's a good time to see I mean, we're down by a big, a big number. And let's see, you know, what, what, what some guys might look like together. Let's see what some chemistry might evolve and, Heck, if Alex Jeffries didn't hit the post uh with about 14 minutes to go in that game, I, I thought we were playing really well at the beginning of the third mm-hmm. period, particularly his line. Um, and if we could get could have gotten that one, who knows what could have happened. But but I I like some of the combinations we put together. Um, you know, waiting, you know, still another day of practice, give the guys an opportunity to earn their way in or unfortunately earn their way out. Um, and then we'll set it. But I've liked uh, I've liked the lineup. I like the lineup we played the third period with. I thought some guys really gave us an opportunity to see that they could be more productive. Um, and that's what we're going to find out tomorrow. Uh,
1: another guy that kind of got in over the weekend, but also got in uh, the previous week against with two had his first couple of points was Nikita and, uh What have you seen from him over the last couple of weeks? I know back in the preseason and even in October, you said it may be a little bit of an adjustment period for him. I was adjusting to a lot on and off the ice. Um, but what have you seen from him over the last couple of weeks? Because he's gotten in there twice and, you know, you, you've talked about his shot before I ever saw him on the ice, and it's, it's pretty evident when the puck comes off the stick, this stick, it comes off usually pretty hard and, and uh, can be a hellacious shot there.
2: You know, he, he's got a very good stick, period. I mean, he can rip a puck for sure, but he's got an excellent stick, uh, and he can make a lot of plays with it. The thing that I really liked about Nikita's game here in the second half when he's played, he's also very responsible. I don't know if you remember the play, and I think it was in the – Uh, third period he dumped the puck he was a one-on-four rush he dumped the puck in the air to make it harder for the retrieval then he was first on the puck and then he made a play to uh, you know I think it was to see for it net front Um, but it was just a really smart play and uh, right now his only challenge is pace um, and being able to play at this pace I, I don't think he's ever had to face it before um, and that will be the challenge as far as moving forward when he comes back in and out of the lineup. Is he able to play at the pace that we need him to? His mind definitely does because he's a smart, smart player. Um, it's just a matter of his uh, feet getting a little bit better, a little bit quicker uh, so he can play the heavy game that he brings. And, um, you know, he I thought he's played well in both situations. First game, he scored. Second game, he obviously set up a couple of plays um but he's a talented player he's going to be someone that we're going to rely on in the future for sure and and possibly this season
1: you talked about the play the secret there at the net front jeffrey's hitting the post in the third period i think looking back you know matthew Caron played really well for brown in that game were you surprised or maybe not surprised but looking back at the video did you have more scoring chances especially in the brown game than maybe it felt like immediately after the game because I mean, there were a lot of plays, and even on even on Friday night against Yale too, their goaltender played really well. Uh, overall, when you kind of sat back and watched the games and broke it down, was there more there than than maybe met the eye? You know, immediately following the game,
2: uh, for sure. Like, we, like I'm, you know, at, at, just like a fan, right? We could play the best game of our of our season of our career. We lose six to two, the fan just walks away, thinks you guys suck. You know, yeah. we played <laughs> our best game. Um, And I'm the same way after a game like that. You know, it felt it really tasted poor. Um, I was really upset with the way. And it's just, it was like the culmination of four games where I think we've been average at best. Um, So I was upset and didn't realize until I watched the video, number one, how few chances they had in the first. Uh, Number two, uh, how many chances we actually got. The problem for us is we didn't get second chances. Now that give their goaltender and their defense credit, um, they he held on to a lot of pucks and they defended really well in the, in the house uh, but we just got to work harder to get there you know we have to get those opportunities we're playing a great defensive team this weekend um, with a, a good goalie a freshman goalie but a good goalie a good size he'll give us some second chances you just got to get to them and that's something I think that we haven't done uh, since break and that's something that's very necessary moving forward and that was exposed against Brown and Yale you know we had a Ton of chances against Yale, but too many one and duns. You know we need we need uh, more second chances,
1: All right, Coach? We'll see if we can ha- if that can happen
2: this weekend. Thanks again for the the time today, and
1: best of luck this weekend.
2: Thanks, Mike. Have a good weekend. We'll see you around here hopefully.
1: Before
0: we wrap up this week's episode, I want to apologize for my audio on the audio end. I had to go ahead and record with my AirPods when we did the interview. Not what I would normally do. Not what I like to do. As you can tell, it sounds like I'm in a trash can. So not what I would like to do. I apologize for the audio, but I do want to thank Merrimack Head Coach Scott Bork for taking some time and joining us today. I also want to thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. If you're a subscriber over at themacreport.com, thanks to you. You're the ones that make all this possible. If you're interested in becoming a subscriber, all you got to do is go over to themacreport.com. You'll find all of the information there. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon.